Murdoch on My Mind is a true crime podcast. It's about victims, so take care of yourself. Some of these episodes are difficult. The descriptions of the vehicle accidents, the horrendous injuries suffered by the victims, and the terrible betrayals they've endured in these cases may be triggering for some. The Satterfield family and the Pinckney family were both victims of multiple financial crimes allegedly perpetrated by Corey Fleming, and yet the feds allowed Fleming to plead guilty to a single felony count in connection with the Satterfield case. The state grand jury indicted Fleming on multiple counts involving both families, and yet all the feds can muster is one measly count of conspiracy to commit wire fraud? A little over a week ago, Corey Fleming walked out of the federal courthouse in Charleston, South Carolina, a sharp-dressed man in a medium blue suit and yellow tie with blue and white stripes. He was looking more like the attorney he used to be than the felon he is now. And in his pocket? A sweetheart plea deal. So if the state of South Carolina is correct that Corey began stealing money as far back as 2012, what are the chances that those are the only times he did it in his entire career? Circa 2012, and again, circa 2018. He was an attorney for almost 30 years. He graduated law school with Alec. Maybe none of the crimes Fleming is alleged by the state to have committed against the Pinckney family meet the federal criteria. Maybe justice for the Pinckneys was sacrificed for the higher dollar and higher profile crime. Maybe, maybe, maybe. Maybe we'll never know. So why did he do it? Well, according to ABC 15 News out of Myrtle Beach, at the time of the Satterfield thefts, Creighton Waters says Fleming was in debt and needed money to pay off some bills, including his mortgage, a large credit card balance, and the IRS. And iTunes. Don't forget about those iTunes purchases he made. How much money do you think you have to spend on iTunes before the Attorney General makes it a line item in your state grand jury indictment? So Corey needed money. Okay. So tell me why he would submit a disbursement sheet to the circuit court that showed a legitimate allocation of attorney's fees for $1.435 million and then collect less than half of those fees. I mean, sure, maybe he was giving the money to Shady Alec as part of their split for giving the case to Corey. But why didn't Corey collect his entire fee? and then just give Shady Alec whatever amount they agreed on under the table. No one might have been the wiser when it came to that transaction. But no, Corey collected a little less than half of his attorney's fees and then started writing checks to Forge like his client trust account was on fire. The fake Forge, of course, which Corey still claims to have been duped by. Yeah, sounds completely reasonable. So I'll be honest. 
The numbers in the federal information don't quite add up for me. I've done the math every which way with all kinds of scenarios, and I've never once gotten it to work out within less than 17 grand. And I don't think the feds really have it to the penny either, because they use phrases like, quote, Corey Howerton Fleming collected approximately $672,595.85, less than half of the attorney's fees he reported to the circuit court, unquote. And these wonky numbers are driving the old accounting major in me crazy. Now, I know that in the law, we use on or about for dates, even when we know the exact date. So maybe the feds are saying approximately, even though they have it figured out down to the penny. But between you and me, I don't think so. Anyway, I've been poring over these numbers, and the other thing that I just can't figure out is why would Corey agree to take a smaller fee than he reported to the circuit court judge and then steal money from the Satterfields? Instead of collecting $1,435,000 in attorney's fees, which was his legit fee for this case, by the way, 33 and a third percent of the total settlement amount is pretty standard in pre-lit contingency cases that don't graduate to litigation. The total settlement was $4.305 million, $3.8 $3.8 million plus $505,000. $1,435,000 is 33.3% of $4,305,000. That math works out perfectly. So like I was saying, instead of collecting $1,435,000 in attorney's fees, why in the F would Corey reduce his attorney's fees on the back end and then steal $142,700 of it back? from the Satterfields, claiming non-existent prosecution expenses. You gotta have receipts for those expenses in case you get audited, Corey. Legit receipts. I'm talking about legit receipts. It makes no sense at all. He could have legitimately had more than five times that much money. And if he'd done that, he might have had a little more plausible deniability in the financial shell game that Ellick was playing. Corey gave up over $760,000 in legit attorney's fees, and then he stole back almost $143,000 of it. Can you believe that? Hi, everyone. It's Sharon. This is Murdoch on My Mind. Today, we're going to discuss some of the legal documents in the many cases involving the victims of Alec Murdoch, his co-conspirators, and Shady Alec himself. If you've got Murdoch on your mind, and you're a law nerd like me, you're in the right place. You're listening to Season 1, Episode 8.5, Legally Speaking, May 22, 2023 through June 2, 2023. This is the Week in Review mini-episode I promised you although it actually turned out to be a regular-length episode, and we're covering the past two and a half weeks or so, instead of just one week. The stories of the victims of Alec Murdoch are covered in the main episodes, if you're looking specifically for those. I've been trying to get this episode out to you all week long. I've been fighting technical issues that are corrupting my audio files, and I can't even tell you how painstakingly I've worked on cleaning up and re-recording this audio night after night only to have it re-corrupt itself somehow. I've been working on it every night this week, 
And every time I think I've got a clean recording, I listen back and it's garbled again. I have absolutely no idea what's going on, and I promise you I have troubleshot every possible thing I can think of. I'm not complaining. I just want you guys to know how important this journey is to me. I wanted to share that just to let you know that I'm working hard on getting new episodes out to you, and I'm hoping to have the Manuel Santis Cristiani episode out by midweek. But it'll be out by Sunday, for sure. I'll rent studio time if I need to. Mostly, I want to thank each and every one of you for listening to these episodes. But I'm still finding my footing a little bit, and I could use your help. If you like the show and you're willing to give me a five-star rating on your podcast player of choice, I'd really appreciate it. As you know, it'll help more people find the show, and it'll help bump up the average from some of the less positive reviewers. And tell a friend about the show. That helps a lot, too. And just know that I'm working hours and hours every week, in a good way, pouring through pages and pages of legal documents and newspaper articles and making phone calls to bring you the stories of the victims of Richard Alexander Murdoch so that we never lose focus on what's important, the many, many people he betrayed. It's important to me that the victims be remembered, and I know it is to you too. There are thousands of you listening already, and I'm so grateful. Thanks again for being here. I appreciate each and every one of you. But now, it's time to buckle up, Buttercup, and let's talk Murdoch. Good old boy number one has been keeping the South Carolina legal system busy, as usual. But good old boy number two managed to steal most of Shady Alec's spotlight with a single court appearance. More on that in a minute, but first, here's a quick recap of the past two weeks' legal happenings. There were four orders, four motions, two memorandums, one in support and one in opposition, two federal indictments, one not guilty plea, one plea deal, one official statement from Shady Alec's defense team, one sentencing update, and one notice of response. There was a late afternoon filing on Friday, May 19th that I wanted to be sure to mention, so I'm actually going to start with a little bit of leftover business from a couple of Fridays ago. Remember Shady Ellick's request for 160 grand in untainted funds to pay for his appeal of his double murder conviction? Well, after being summarily denied that 160 k from the receivership on May 12, 2023, Shady Ellick's legal team took yet another run at getting access to those untainted funds just a week later. On May 19, 2023, the defense team filed a motion for reconsideration of order denying application for payment of attorney's fee from untainted funds. I'll have more on that in a minute or so. That was the same Friday that Judge Hall issued his denial of Gregory Parker's motion for summary judgment in the Mallory Beach wrongful death case, a.k.a. the boat crash case. I tend to call it the Mallory Beach wrongful death case because it reminds us that there is a real victim in this case who lost her life. But everyone, even the attorneys, seem to call it the boat crash case. So I do use those terms interchangeably at times. Gregory Parker, as you'll recall, is the gas station convenience store magnate who owns the chain where Paul Murdoch bought some of the alcohol that contributed to his alleged drunken boat crash that killed Mallory Beach and injured several others in February 2019. Judge Hall denied the motion on that same Friday, May 19th, but he didn't issue his written order until the following Monday. I'll have more on that in a couple of minutes, too. 
Also on Monday, Judge Hall issued a consent order granting leave for parties to conduct the deposition of Richard Alexander Murdoch. Then midweek, we got the biggest news of all, that good old boy number one and good old boy number two had both been federally indicted, and that good old boy number two, Corey Fleming, was set to take a plea. In response, good old boy number one's legal team put out a statement saying that, quote, Ellick has been cooperating with the United States Attorney's Office and federal agencies in their investigation of a broad range of activities. We anticipate that the charges brought today will be quickly resolved without a trial, unquote. It sounds like a federal plea deal is in the works for Shady Ellick as well. But his best friend beat him to the table. On Wednesday, May 24th, there was also an order in the civil conspiracy outrage case filed by the Beach family. This is a separate case from the Mallory Beach wrongful death case. You'll remember that this is the case against Gregory Parker and several other defendants, but not Shady Ellick. It claims a conspiracy to distribute a confidential video containing photographs of Mallory Beach's body after she was recovered from the water. The video was created for mediation purposes between the parties, but was leaked and used in part in a trailer for a documentary that the Beach family has not agreed to participate in. We talked about it briefly in Episode 3. Wednesday's order states that the court has concluded its privilege review and made determinations as ordered by the South Carolina Supreme Court on October 5, 2022. It concludes, quote, Any privileged material in plaintiff's possession should be immediately returned to Parker's defendants or redacted or directed by this order, unquote. Also on Wednesday, we learned from Drew Tripp, executive producer at WCIV-TV, a South Carolina news station, that Russell Lafitte's sentencing, which was expected to take place in June 2023, has been pushed back until sometime, quote, this summer, unquote. So we might be getting updates on all three alleged co-conspirators' fates, good old boy number one, good old boy number two, and their disgraced banker, Russell Lafitte, sometime this summer. By the way, on May 30th, we got a little hint about the Nepo Baby Banker's upcoming sentencing when Russell Lafitte's legal team filed a consent motion for leave to file objections to amended pre-sentence report. Assistant U.S. Attorney on the case, Emily Limehouse, consented, as did the U.S. Probation Office. That's the consent part of the motion. Apparently, the government has requested an increase of over a million dollars in the proposed restitution amount, which will be part of the bank-robbing banker's federal sentence. According to the motion, get this, the increase is due primarily to legal fees incurred by Palmetto State Bank and the Parker Law Group. Quote, the government has supplied the USPO and Mr. Lafitte with detailed, voluminous invoices from counsel for both of the above entities, unquote. Will the same thing happen to good old boy number two? Knock on wood. The motion was seeking a 14-day extension from the date counsel received the amended PSR to submit objections to the updated restitution calculations. The following day, Judge Gergel granted the motion. The amended pre-sentence report with the updated restitution amount was supposed to be issued last week, so it should already be in the hot little hands of Shady Ellick's favorite banker. Least favorite banker now? Yeah, probably least favorite banker now. 
This next group of court documents were all filed on Wednesday, May 31st, and they were all filed in the civil conspiracy outrage case. There was a notice of response to the court's order of May 24th, 2023, a motion to compel production of subpoenaed material, and a motion to extend the ADR deadline and request for an expedited ruling on privilege review. The May 24th order they're referring to is regarding the privilege review I mentioned earlier, the one that the circuit court was ordered to do by the South Carolina Supreme Court. All three of these documents were filed on behalf of Gregory Parker and two of his fellow defendants, Blake Greco and Jason DeCruz, and all three have to do with the issue of privileged documents. The motion to extend the ADR deadline is referring to alternative dispute resolution, or mediation, which is required of the parties. They don't have to settle, but they have to try. But the main thing I wanted to mention here is that Parker is asking for an extension to the court-ordered mediation deadline due to some of these privilege issues from his other motions, as well as discovery issues and outstanding motions in the case. The current deadline is July 17, 2023, and they want it extended by almost 11 months to June 3, 2024. By the way, those outstanding motions include, quote, a motion to disqualify Mark Tinsley and a number of motions to compel discovery from plaintiff's counsel related to the disqualification of Mark Tinsley, one of which is being filed simultaneously herewith, unquote. Did you know Parker is trying to get Tiger Tinsley kicked off the civil conspiracy outrage case? It has to do with, quote, at least 25 pages which were not provided to the Parker's defendants by the subpoenaed third parties, unquote. Pages from a private investigator that Parker is alleging that Tinsley has, but previously denied he was in possession of. A private investigator who had been following Paul Murdoch for more than a year prior to his murder all in relation to the Mallory Beach wrongful death case. Crazy, right? Too bad the investigator wasn't there the night Ellick killed Paul and Maggie. She could have saved us all a lot of time and trouble. At least Parker's not trying to get Tinsley kicked off the Mallory Beach wrongful death case, but still. Another thing happened on Wednesday, May 31st. Shady Ellick entered a not guilty plea in federal court to his 22-count indictment. The following day, two memorandums were filed in the Mallory Beach wrongful death case. Get this. Good old boy number one filed a memorandum in support of motion for reconsideration of his request for those untainted funds again. Ellick's attorneys are nothing if not persistent. It's like they don't have any other clients. But if that's the case, who's paying them? The same day, the co-receivers filed a response in opposition to Ellick Murdoch's motion to reconsider releasing the money. And finally, on Friday, June 2, 2023, Gregory Parker filed another motion in the civil conspiracy outrage case, a motion to reconsider in part and to alter slash amend the court's order of May 24, 2023, on behalf of Parker and the same two co-defendants as before. This is also about those privileged documents I mentioned earlier. The motion was filed in camera and ex parte. In my experience, motions filed in camera are usually sealed and withheld from the public. This motion isn't, but it is redacted in several places, which gets the job done. Ex parte motions are motions that can be granted by a judge without a response from the opposing party. I know these motions are all starting to sound alike, but I promise you, they're different. 
Now back to Shady Alex's attempt at a do-over on his request for untainted funds to pay for his appeal. Remember how I said that the ruling was so short it could have been written on a sticky note? Well, it was actually written on what's called a Form 4, and Shady Alec and his legal team apparently weren't too happy about it. A Form 4 is a two-page form that a judge can use when issuing a brief order. It's pre-written with everything except the details of the case. At the top, it says Form 4, State of South Carolina, County of, fill in the blank, in the Court of Common Pleas, judgment in a civil case. The judge, or their clerk, fills in the name of the county, the case number, and the names of the plaintiffs and defendants. Then there's a place to check the disposition type, depending on what type of action is being ordered. Choices include jury verdict, decision by the court, action dismissed, action stricken, stayed due to bankruptcy, and disposition of appeal to the circuit court, with some of these having additional multiple-choice options to further specify the reasoning. Then the document says, quote, it is ordered and adjudged, unquote, with two options. See attached order, formal order to follow, or statement of judgment by the court. Then there's about a two-inch high rectangle for the judge to enter his narrative and ruling. Then below that, there's another choice. Either this order ends or does not end the case. And a final box that can be checked if the judge wants to add additional information. You can check out the order on my website, under Episode 6, if you want. On the denial order of Shady Alec's motion for untainted funds, decision by the court is checked, as well as statement of judgment, and finally, the box for does not end the case is checked. The motion to reconsider states in pertinent part, quote, The court failed to address any of the grounds raised by Murdoch in his written motion or made by counsel during the hearing held on May 3rd, 2023, unquote. And then it lists the four arguments they raised that Judge Hall didn't specifically rule on. Those include, one, Ellick's right to retain counsel of his choice using his own untainted assets. Two, that the funds in the receivership account are Ellick's assets. Three, that the receivership contains more than $160,000 in untainted funds. And four, that Ellick has, quote, a constitutional right to access these untainted funds in the receivership account to hire counsel of his choice to represent him on appeal from his murder conviction, unquote. It looked like Shady Alec's defense was just trying to preserve the issue for appeal, but then they went and filed a 13-page memorandum in support of motion for reconsideration. Surely they don't really believe that Judge Hall is going to change his mind on this one, do they? I think the biggest headline from this memorandum is that it tells us that Judge Hall stated on the record at the May 3rd hearing that the receivership assets do still belong to good old boy number one. If you want to check it out for yourself, you can find it on my webpage at justicedelayedpod.com, episode 8.5. I also wanted to tell you about the decision on Gregory Parker's motion for summary judgment in the Mallory Beach wrongful death case. Like the denial of Ellick's original motion requesting untainted funds, this order was also issued on a Form 4. Although this order is a little longer than the sticky note-sized response that Shady Alec got, it's still pretty short. There's a sentence denying the motion, and then Judge Hall gives his reasoning, saying basically that there is at least one genuine issue of material fact that needs to be decided in this case, meaning that a trier of fact is required, so either a jury trial or a bench trial. 
Summary judgments are rare, so it's not a surprise. However, this was an important motion, because if Parker had been dismissed, that would have left Shady Ellick as the only defendant in this case. We'll see if Parker files a motion for reconsideration. So far, he hasn't. I want to tell you a little bit about this consent order granting permission for the parties to conduct the deposition of Shady Ellick. This order stems from the big Mallory Beach wrongful death case hearing that happened back on May 3rd, 2023. This was the hearing in front of Judge Hall where Jim Griffin originally argued Shady Ellick's request for untainted funds and Parker's attorneys originally argued their motion for summary judgment. That same day, according to a tweet from Ann Emerson, a reporter for South Carolina news station WCIV and host of the Murdoch Murders, Money, and Mystery podcast, one of Gregory Parker's attorneys made an oral motion asking Judge Hall to, quote, allow Alec Murdoch to be deposed in the beach boat lawsuit. All lawyers agreed, unquote. According to South Carolina law, a person who is confined in prison can only be deposed with the court's permission and under terms that the court dictates. Judge Hall granted the motion, noting that there was, quote, consent of all parties, including the consent of Alec Murdoch, by and through his counsel, unquote. Well, of course he did. It sounds like at this point, the deposition could be done in person, by telephone, or via video conferencing of some sort. So we'll have to wait and see what kind of an arrangement the attorneys broker for Shady Ellick's deposition. It's kind of interesting that Ellick didn't fight against having his deposition taken in the Mallory Beach wrongful death case, but at this point, he really has nothing left to lose. And he does like to hear himself talk. Any chance to get out of prison for a few hours, or to drop a bombshell or two and stir everything up with his lies, might be a welcome respite from prison life. The Mallory Beach wrongful death case is set for trial on August 14, 2023, so Shady Ellick's deposition will be happening sooner rather than later. I think he still has a vested interest in clearing Paul's name, too. At his double murder trial, he was still insistent that Paul was not driving the boat at the time of the crash. I'm not expecting him to spill any secrets or even tell the truth for that matter, but his deposition should be interesting because if there's one thing we've learned, it's that you never really know what's going to come out of good old boy number one's mouth. So the biggest news of last week was definitely Corey Fleming's plea deal, which he officially accepted on May 25th, 2023. The first thing that you need to know about good old boy number two's deal is that it's all about the Satterfield case. There's only one charge. Can you believe that? With everything that Corey Fleming has been accused of and everything we know about Corey's involvement in defrauding the Satterfields, there's just one charge. Conspiracy to commit wire fraud. He faces a max of just five years in federal prison. What does that say to the Satterfield family that the feds are willing to drop everything else Corey did down to one felony count. And what about the Pinckneys? We haven't covered the Pinckneys on this podcast yet. And if you're having trouble placing him, as soon as I start to tell you about him, you'll know exactly who I'm talking about. Hakeem Pinckney was a talented athlete at the South Carolina School for the Deaf and Blind. He lost his hearing at an early age, and then, due to a tire tread separation malfunction, similar to the one in Manuel Santis Cristiani's case, he was paralyzed at the age of 19. He was put on a ventilator and died two years later. 
He's also the young man who was featured in an advertisement Shady Alec did for a legal video tool in 2021 after he stole between 800000 and $1 million from the Pinckney family. Allegedly. Hakeem's mother, his sister, and his cousin were all injured in the same crash. It was allegedly Pamela Pinckney's money that paid for the private jet that took good old boy number one, good old boy number two, and Chris Wilson to the College World Series in Omaha. As for Fleming, he's currently free on a $25,000 unsecured bond, meaning he got to walk out the front door of the courthouse without paying a dime. He'll only have to pay the $25K if he doesn't show up for his sentencing hearing or respond to the whims of the U.S. government. So we'll see what kind of indictments start to pop up from the feds in the near future as they start to get the full 411 from Fleming. And what about good old boy number one's date with the feds? So far, he's not faring nearly as well as his BFF. He was indicted on 22 federal charges relating to crimes allegedly committed against the Satterfields, the Plyler sisters, Natasha Thomas, Hakeem Pinckney, and the Badger family. Shady Ellick is facing 14 counts of money laundering and a variety of counts involving bank fraud, wire fraud, and conspiracy to commit said crimes. Each count carries a max of between 20 and 30 years in prison. Good old boy number two's plea is starting to look better and better all the time, isn't it? By the way, Shady Ellick pled not guilty to those charges on May 31st. But Ellick's dynamic legal duo have made it pretty clear that they're expecting to cut a deal with the Fed and enter a change of plea any day now. If you're wondering how these federal charges affect the state charges good old boys number one and two were already facing, Robert Kittle, spokesman for the South Carolina Attorney General's Office, said of Shady Ellick, quote, The South Carolina Attorney General's Office and the State Law Enforcement Division have occupied a primary and central role in the investigation from inception, and no action by any other entity will have any effect on our goals to ensure significant accountability in state court for any criminal conduct, unquote. Kittle said Fleming's trial on state charges is still set for September 11th of this year. And they're looking to get Shady Ellick's financial crimes trials scheduled when they can get Shady Ellick's attorneys to show up for a status conference. Maybe good old boy number one's legal team can make time once Harputlian's legislative immunity ends in July. Kittle didn't say it in those words exactly, but I'll bet that's what he's thinking. Well, good luck, because Harputlian has a bunch of plans for the rest of the year, including visiting his wife in Slovenia, where she's the U.S. ambassador. The Harputlian's good friend, President Joe Biden, appointed her in 2021. And Mr. Harputlian also has a big case against the state and Lexington County for failing to protect five children under the age of nine from their father, Timothy Jones Jr. He murdered them and then left them in a ditch in Alabama in 2014. It really is a tragic and important case. We're going to be diving back into the case of Manuel Santis Cristiani and his ongoing lawsuit against good old boy number one, Ronnie Crosby, William Barnes III, Russell Lafitte, Palmetto State Bank, and PMPED. And we'll explore Blanca's mysterious statement to Ronnie Crosby that, quote, this wasn't supposed to go this far. Next time on Murdoch on My Mind.
Thanks for joining me today. To learn more about Good Old Boy Number One's victims or to view the documents I talked about in this episode, check out my website, justicedelayedpod.com, and click on the Murdoch on My Mind link in the black menu bar at the top. You can email me at murdochonmymindpod at yahoo.com. Sources are on justicedelayedpod.com. Twitter and Insta, Murdoch on Mind. As always, any errors, omissions, and opinions are my own. Join me next week as we continue to put the focus on the victims. If you have Murdoch on your mind, subscribe now, and let's talk Murdoch. Justice for the Satterfield family. Justice for the Plyler sisters. Justice for Natasha Thomas. Justice for Hakeem Pinckney. Justice for the Badger family. Justice for Manuel Santis Cristiani. Justice for Blondell Gary. Justice for Stephen Smith. Justice for Tommy Moore. Justice for Gloria Satterfield. Justice for Mallory Beach. Justice for Barrett Bowler. Justice for Connor Cook. Justice for Renee Beach. Justice for Miley Altman. Justice for Anthony Cook. Justice for Morgan Dowdy. Justice for Philip Beach. Justice for Robin Beach. Justice for Savannah Tootin. Justice for Seth Tootin. Justice for all the victims. This is Sharon, and I'll be back.